Welcome to Open House, the podcast all about having those difficult conversations. Ever had to hash out funeral plans with your terminally ill mum? Or ask if your dad is really your dad? We have, and we want to chat all about it. Join me, Clancy, and me, Mel, as we open up and get into some nitty gritty details. Like therapy, but cheaper. This is Open House. Hello everyone, thank you so much for tuning back into Open House with Mel and Clancy. We are so pumped today because on today's episode we have the wonderful Leo Munvi joining us. Oh yeah! From the live studio audience. That's right. Leo is a musical director, vocal coach, and award-winning composer for musical theatre. He trained at the Royal Academy of Music and also, get this, has a BA in Chinese. His first musical stop won the Musical Theatre Review Award for Best Score at Edinburgh in 2017. And he's worked on a number of shows such as Gypsy at the Manchester Royal Exchange Woo-hoo. and Company in the West End. Leo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This is so exciting. Um, Do you want to do our new game? Oh, yeah. Okay, Okay, we have a new game. We have decided that because we are creative types that we should implement a um <laughs> a sort of getting to know you icebreaker situation at the Love beginning it. of our show. So we are going to ask you to play the game Two Truths and One Lie with us. Do you know how it goes? I think I do. Okay. Do you want to explain the rules yeah, anyway? Yeah, for purposes of explanation. So Two Truths and One Lie, we're going to ask our lovely guest to tell us two truths about themselves or about a situation they've been in and a lie. And then myself and Clancy, we're going to try and guess which of the truths, which is the lie, and hopefully that'll give us a bit of an insight into them. I am so terrible at this game. I, I always try and, make, try and make my lie, like, really monotonal. Or, like, <laughs> or like I try and, like, look, look to one side as if, like, I'm remembering yeah. Like, oh, the yeah. lie. I'm so terrible at it. Basically implementing all of those things we learned at drama school. Oh, yeah, but yeah. no one ever falls for it. No, definitely I not. I feel like I, def- I definitely had this on my Hinge profile. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> I love that. This is definitely one of the answers, uh, one of the options, and I'm trying to remember. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm so excited. Let's go with it. Okay, would you like to tell us your two truths and one lie? Okay. So, number one, um, I have eaten pasta with Patty Lapone. Oh my god. (laughs) Two. Yeah. I speak fluent modern Greek. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and three, I have ridden a yak. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm. I think the language one might be a lie because I know you speak Chinese and you've told me that. And I feel like we haven't had a conversation about Greek and I love languages and I feel like I might have gotten that out of you somewhere during our, during the gypsy contract. I, I feel like it's the, the, the Greek one as well because no one could make up a story about riding a yak. And I'm and also riding... I know you, you will have had pasta with Patty Lepone because I just know that about you. And like how we just assumed that. We were like, yeah, he worked in company, of course he has. Literally. He's had pasta with Patty Lepone. I'm, uh, yeah. Okay, so are we both saying that... We're both saying the language okay, is, a, is yeah. a lie. You don't speak fluent Greek. I do not speak fluent Greek. You hey. saw straight through it. <laughs> okay, so we know how Patty Lepone happened, but please explain the yak. The yak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on my, on my year abroad, while I was studying Chinese, um, for my... Not Greek. 
not Greek, um, for my 20th birthday, a group of us went to Tibet for 10 days. Amazing. Um, and we went to Nanso Lake, which um, is in a 5,000 metres above sea level, just some crazy high um, lake in the um, sort of Himalayan foothills, and there were um, yaks with like saddles on that on the on the shores of this lake mm -hmm. um and you could just you know pay a very small amount of money to just have a little trot up and down the beach did they look did they like, like it? it i was gonna say yeah. were they enjoying it yeah no they, they were they're like these huge like fluffy that because i guess they're the main sort of um, beast of burden up at that altitude because not much else can sort of survive That's um, amazing. in those environments and they're sort of you know beautifully decorated with you know bright colors and whatever yeah. it's pretty cool I have where a picture did, where <laughs> did you spend most of your year abroad in... um, i spent most of it in beijing nice um, did you enjoy it there i loved it i absolutely love it um, my my granddad on my dad's side is chinese um was amazing. um born in chongqing and then came to the uk so it was um getting to go out there and live there was a little bit of a of a homecoming for Aww. me and just getting to experience experience that culture that I knew so much about but had never really been a part of and getting to eat that food. Oh my goodness. I was about to say eight times a week, but I meant getting to, <laughs> getting to eat that food all the time. <laughs> this sounds like a very like very much like an eight show a week. Yeah. Yeah. We've not got out of that. <laughs> exactly. Um right, should we move on to um Difficult conversations. Yeah. Okay. Let's go um, for it. So your first difficult conversation is about professional jealousy. Mm. Um, can you tell us about a chat you've had around that? No, as as you said in that um, in the my lovely bio, um, <laughs> I was incredibly fortunate to make my um, professional debut in a big old flashy West End show, um, and to go sort of straight from graduating into rehearsals for that um and it led to a few tricky conversations um I was living in London at the time with the loveliest flatmates in the world and we were all we'd all been training together and then we'd all kind of gone into the the world of work or the what the industry um together and I for whatever reason of good luck had sort of bagged this job straight away and extreme talent <laughs> it's true. and um that led to a couple of um slightly difficult conversations just about um what what like what do you what do you want from a flatmate at the end of a long day at work mm. um if i'm if you're coming home from a rehearsal um tired or with grumbles or with complaints or even just with even with funny stories um how can you relay that in a sensitive way to people in the indus in this in this industry that is so difficult to mm -hmm. get a foothold um and i uh, have to admit that i was definitely slightly callous about it to begin with, um, in that I would come home and I'd be like, oh, I'm so exhausted. Like, <laughs> work, like having a job is so hard. <laughs> um, and, and being told by people that I love and respect, well, it, you know, it's also, you know, we've been sitting at home 
because or I've been waiting tables or you know I've been teaching I've been teaching because because yeah. we don't mm. get to go and eat pasta with Patsy LaPone <laughs> 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 and, and, and do, do all of those yeah. things that you know we're all in this industry because we have those the, the dreams of you know going and and doing doing the work and it being recognized and putting it in front of people um put so nicely i was gonna say being a star <laughs> <laughs> we can tell who the modest one is <laughs> yes. no, no it's absolutely about about that um and that conversation becomes really difficult because um on the one hand, um, it is a really, inc- it's an incredibly competitive industry and it's a fickle industry mm-hmm. and um, one that where people with enormous amounts of talent often don't get the opportunities that they deserve. And a lot of it does come down to um, luck in terms of whether you get those opportunities to actually show off how good you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what the course of conversation is also about who are your what 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 is a flatmate dynamic about is it should it be treading on eggshells should it involve ego or should it be a sort of safe space to air your air your complaints and it's funny i see this all the time on like every year on twitter panto season rolls around oh yeah <laughs> and <laughs> an actor complains about the fact that they're doing 12 shows a week. Mm. Um, quite rightly, because like, panto schedules are mad. Yeah, I did a show that had a similar, it was sort of to a younger audience, and it had that, if not more, shows a week, and I was exhausted and sort of biting my tongue for a really long time not to say anything, and I think I sort of came home, so I came, it was a sort of tour, so I came between venues on occasion, and I think I came home one day, and I was just like, no, I'm just so t- I'm so, I really, I like that I have a job, but this is really hard. And then, then you get everyone pouncing on you saying, be grateful that yeah. you're working. I did nine shows a week once, and I was furious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've not done Panto yet, but I did, we did nine shows, because it was I don't know, we'd had a holiday, so we'd missed one, so they, like, moved one. I think it was half-term as well, because mm-hmm. it was a family show. Yeah. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> Three matinees. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it is, a, it is a lot. It's really, it is really hard when you're, you know, the, hour, the hours and you're, you know, burying your soul, on, be that on stage or, you know, behind a piano and all yeah. of that. It's a, it's, it is a lot. It's physically exhausting. We well. have this conversation a lot, because it's, like, just because you're... Um, if like in a moment of success, it doesn't mean that that can't come with like I'm really tired at the moment, or like yeah. that like it doesn't mean that you can't be human. It's yeah. not like you you live every moment of the day, and like the overall feeling when you you're on a job is always Amazing. I'm so grateful mm. to be here. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think that like that doesn't have to come without my feet hurt. I yeah. just want my brain to shut off. Or that and... person was really horrible to me today, and it really hurt, and yeah. that was really hard. Or I'm really not getting on with this person or um or a full weekend would be amazing yeah (laughs) no i can't go to that you know that that really important thing is happening or that baby has just been born you know these things that we know that we have to sacrifice things because of our career and obviously are so you know willing to a point to do so because we love what we do but yeah it doesn't mean that it doesn't come with 
very real like everyday life things but then just on top of that is um is um just on top of that is the fact that we do what we do that we do theater and it's yeah. hard i think yeah. it's it's difficult because the that element of gratitude um to be working at all kind of plays into this narrative whereby we forget that it's a job mm. because it's also a passion this this is a really important thing for us all sort of collectively to be coming to understand because i think that that will start to make the discussion about that kind of um professional jealousy easier if we can separate the passion from the work yeah mm. and we we know that we do it for the passion but it is a job and if we all kind of understand that and empathize with that then it should be easier to for someone in employment to speak to someone out of it and have gripes about you know whatever it is if someone said something horrible or if you mm -hmm. um you know slipped over during a dance break <laughs> <laughs> and and you should be with hay. <laughs> that was a fun time. you should be able to make those um complaints and have them heard mm. um for the fact that it's a job and jobs are hard and hopefully sort of dissociate the the fact that you're living your passion while someone else isn't this is very easy for me to say because i'm I, I feel like i'm in such a such a lucky and privileged position yeah. um but i i hope that that conversation becomes easier i don't mean i don't yeah. mean you literally answered my next question which was how do you remedy professional jealousy <laughs> <laughs> um coming on to the next conversation that you um you know wanted to talk about um can you tell us about a difficult conversation that you've had with your mental health you said that mm. we've um you know i mean i guess being in this industry is something maybe we touched on it a little bit before but yeah can you offer us anything along those lines i think um one of the first conversations i had about mental health was on my year abroad um with one of my really close friends this is before i was sort of part of the industry mm -hmm. um and she was suffering with depression um and i very glibly very not suffering with depression mm -hmm. <laughs> um told her that it was all an attitude thing and it was how you you know if you it's your choice to see a glass half full or see a glass half empty um, and it's just how you, like, how you go about your life, um, like, it's, it's up, it's up to you. Um, and she didn't really say anything in response. She didn't sort of call me out for it. She just mm. kind of, and we, we moved on. And I, like, a couple of years later, I apologised. <laughs> Literally, because, and I still think about just how obnoxious it is to talk about something that you actually don't understand. Um, and I think as I sort of, following that year abroad, um, then in my last couple of years at uni, I started sort of dealing with a couple of 
anxiety related things mm-hmm. and started to get a bit more um acquainted with the world of mental health and how to talk about it um and then one of my best friends in the world had a mental health crisis um and ended up in um in hospital and it just it opened up a a whole world that i didn't know was there because we don't or certainly at the time i had never properly had a discussion about this with anybody um and i hadn't had people bring it up with me it was something that kind of other people dealt with yeah and that I had no real experience of um and so having somebody incredibly close to me go through something incredibly traumatic and kind of dealing with that as a as a group of friends um really really changed the way that I I thought about it and it was it was after that that I went and apologized to this original friend you know we'd been it was I you know it's we there was a cafe that we would go to in Beijing um that we kind of joked was always like um it was like friends you know we would all just pile into this cafe and on (laughs) Thursdays we would have pizza and we would have wine it would be like one bit of western food and western style life Mm -hmm. um a week and it's, I have so many lovely memories from that and then this one conversation that I just regret so deeply because it was so so uninformed um, and I'm now really really grateful my friend um, who had the crisis had a like made a full recovery um, we wrote a show together which um, <laughs> you keep answering all my questions <laughs> which going to I guess there. kind of removes a little bit of their anonymity but um it's uh, i think it's it's important to acknowledge and she agrees that the sort of history of that show is rooted very much in our our both of our experiences um with um with mental health and i think that as i um as i learned more about it then um and then as we wrote this show it became like talking about mental health actually just talking about it um became something that we were incredibly passionate about do you find i'm always interested in the kind of like how gender comes into play when people are talking about mental Mental health health. because i feel like there's a like we were almost talking about this before like about how women in our lives have been quite forthcoming about having troubles with mental health my mum had issues with mental health and was very um uh forthcoming with talking about it and being like this is a thing she was on Prozac for ages like mm. um and my dad felt like because she was articulating that it was then a burden it was his burden to carry mm. which was which isn't the case yeah. like it's that's not the case but that was how he perceived that he perceived that she was expressing this thing and that he had to take it and kind of do that with it which I think is a very um something that historically we've the society has trained men to do go don't worry i can take both of our loans <laughs> yeah for sure no. whilst also perhaps not encouraging men um again you know massive st- stereotype here but perhaps not encouraging men to um talk about their own mental health and get the help when they need but perhaps as you know figures do show mm. in terms of unfortunately suicide rates and um mental health crisis rates amongst amongst men and i don't have the exact figures but knowing the, the statistics that samaritans 
put up there. It is, mm. it is, it is a truth. No, it's it's one of those. It's definitely tied up in patriarchy mm-hmm. in that um, women, for whatever reason, are characterised as emotional, and men are not, um, and that affords a certain ability to talk about and express emotions and express complicated emotions mm. um and like talk about what's bothering you um it's like the fact that that's gendered is fucked up mm-hmm. um but it but is um it is sort of unfortunately how it is but then it's it's um, really encouraging to see that changing and to see um you know i see amazing work from my friends talking about um like Men with eating disorders mm. is incredibly underrepresented and, and incredibly under-talked about for how high an incidence of an issue that is. And that's one of the things that we put into our show, yeah. is we very deliberately put a male character who suffers with um, an eating disorder. Because we we wanted the show to sh- have a, a sort of cross-section of society and of our experiences and to start conversations that need to be had mm-hmm. um and it it's it's frustrating that your gender is a barrier to starting that conversation yeah, yeah. um Absolutely. for people that don't know do you want to give sort of a little rundown of the show yeah and what it's about um so in 2017, mm-hmm. um, my writing partner and I, that's Annabelle Mutari-Reed, um, and I wrote a show called Stop, um, and we wrote it in our final year of uni, um, and it's about four um, strangers meeting at a London bus stop um, who inadvertently mm. um, save each other's lives. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's got slight sort of uh, magical realism elements in that they, these four characters become stuck at the bus stop um, because the decisions that they are making by making the journeys that they're taking at, at that bus stop will eventually, by sort of butterfly effect, um, lead to their eventual self-destruction mm-hmm. um, by exacerbating whatever undiagnosed um, mental health crisis they're facing at different points down the line you know for one of the characters it will take 10 years for um his problems to reach their real crisis point and for one of the characters it's tomorrow Mm. so there's a kind of differing level of urgency um among these four people and they become stuck at the bus stop unable to make this journey that they'd arrived at the bus stop planning to make um and in quite an un-British way, are forced to talk to each other. Because <laughs> oh um, they're stuck. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, um, yeah, I think maybe being um, being stuck somewhere against your will and that leading to having more open conversations is something we can all relate to a little bit more now after the last few months um, but <laughs> yes by by having these conversations with each other they um they change their trajectory they're in a kind of sliding doors butterfly effect kind mm-hmm. of way um inadvertently through talking about things um set themselves on different paths um that 
don't end um, quite so miserably. That's so cool. Do you do you have a way of like showing the path that they would have gone down on that? Yes. So, 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 cool. so we have like alternating premonitions of their bad days and their ah. good days of, you know, what happens if they do what they set out to do that morning mm-hmm. and what happens if they basically choose to see- seek help um, is the... Um, are the sort of two alternating trajectories and it's not like oh you know you chat to some strangers at a bus stop and everything's uh, fine okay. <laughs> um it's um well, just the glass is half full <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly it's much more about being open and being unafraid to express the problems that you're having mm. um and not being afraid to seek help and that's very much the the mess the final line of the show is i think i need some help um, and it's oh. just a, <clears throat> um, it's a show that both Annabelle and I are incredibly proud of, um, that's sort of in, entirely original in its conception and, um, informed by our experiences and also the fact that we had a clinical psychology textbook in our flat at uni that <laughs> none of us studied psychology, but it was just there. <laughs> so it, that, that made really good source material. Any, <laughs> any plans to take it to an open air venue? <laughs> I mean, we would love to. We just had um, three of the songs from it featured on an um, online concert from the Barn Theatre. It was so great. Awesome. Incredibly grateful um, so to them for that opportunity. Um, but yes, we are, we are, very, it's very much in development for a um, upcoming production, hopefully. So yeah, we're going to do another segue in terms of the third conversation that you brought to us, which is um, a difficult conversation around colourblind casting, which I know does happen a lot. Um, and yeah, what um, in terms of, obviously you've been on a casting panel, um, what would you say is said on a casting panel sort of behind closed doors regarding colorblind casting and regarding how one goes about casting people in terms of race? Because obviously I, I know what happens from my point of view as an actor getting a breakdown and being somebody who is, is a, a black woman and mixed race woman in the industry, but I just wonder what happens behind closed doors before it reaches us as actors, if you can tell us. <laughs> I. I feel like I have quite a unique perspective and insight here mm-hmm. um, in that I am a white passing mixed race person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I said earlier, um, my um, dad's dad is Chinese mm-hmm. and my, my mum's family um, is um, Caribbean and African. Um, so I've always had, we've always been a multicultural, multiracial family mm-hmm. um, fr- from, um, you know, with influences from um, America, from the Caribbean, from Africa, um, from, from China in, in our sort of big web of family history and mm-hmm. quite recent family history mm-hmm. um, in that I have only ever known three of my four grandparents and only one of those three is white. Mm. Um, so I feel, I feel like as a white passing individual who has um, really close family members who are people of colour, mm-hmm. um, I have experienced 
and heard experiences um, at home um, that other people who are white passing because they are white um, uh, people have, have not heard or do not share. This is exactly the problem that I want to talk about in the specific instance in that I have been in a casting room that um, is like really really actively trying to look for people of colour and doing a brilliant job of um, you know actually actively seeking people out and looking to make that representation and you know whatever we think of it's not quotas as such but you know actually just trying to see trying to get more people into the audition room so that we have a sort of greater pool of yeah. um, of talent to cast from so that we can have an exciting um, diverse cast um, and the people that were invited the black people that came into that room yeah. were not equipped to sing the show that we were casting for in the right style mm. um, and I st quite strongly believe that this is because I think I think the word like this is where the word like fame is being banished from lots of sort of theatrical lexicon because Very it's glad. it it's this sort of catch-all term for a group that isn't homogenous yeah <laughs> um and so just just saying oh like yes we we really we are really concerned about um doing colorblind casting and we want to make sure that we have a representative cast so we're going to um invite loads of black people to audition and loads of people of color to audition but i don't know what you oh. mean by Siri wants to join in. Um, inviting people of colour to an audition just because they're people of colour and you want to broaden the net as opposed to actually looking beyond their race and looking at their skills. Mm -hmm. And that we, we, need, we need to look at the Venn diagram. It was a legit show. Uh, um, I, I know so many black performers who's, who are beautiful, legit singers. That's like, true personally. Well. Yeah. Like... And to me, it was it was so frustrating to sit in that casting room where I was, I was like, I have at least you know, a, a dozen friends that I could, that we should have invited. Yeah. And these and people who are brilliant performers in like very specific styles have been brought into this audition room and didn't stand a chance from the get go. Mm. And that that was the lip service to attempting colorblind casting in that it was like yes well we're bringing we're bringing people of color into the room but they're just not right for the part and it's because you're bringing the wrong people of color into the room and you're doing that because you're treating them as an as a homogenous block being black shouldn't be a casting category um like and i'm not i think it's really important i want to make the clarification that i'm not saying that we shouldn't see race that's not what i mean at all that's no. that is absolutely the opposite of what I'm saying. <laughs> there is a brilliant article by my friend Heath Saunders on Medium um, called um, What I Think About When I'm Told Broadway is Racist. Ooh. And it's absolutely fantastic and it's about it's about colourblind casting and you know, what we should actually potentially be striving for in terms of what 
true representation is and the answer is not just ignoring colour mm-hmm. but that's that's a really great thing I don't know if you have notes or podcast notes so we will link the um, Medium article in the show notes of the podcast if anybody wants to check it out um, but so I think it's I think it's so important that race is like should should be like whether you're a soprano and an alto mm-hmm. not just like you are black, therefore we will bring you in to f- to try to fulfil our fame quota. Yeah, it it should be we are looking for people who are actually suitable for the role who are also people of colour. Yeah, and it should be it should be a much more sort of holistic Venn diagram. It should be another thing like believing that you're. Glinda has to be between these heights, right? Yeah, for health and safety purposes, for, in the bubble. Yeah, <laughs> like, or that you're, you know, all, all of it. It should just, it should be another consideration like that, not mm. just this monolith of a category yeah, that doesn't yeah. go, sort of investigated. Yeah. Um, and I think that if, if we can kind of get over that hurdle, then colorblind casting will be so much easier because you'll actually have the right people coming into the rooms. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to make the disclaimer that the that particular casting process that I was talking about um, was that there, there were the, uh, those couple of red flags, um, but and it, it was sort of difficult to discuss and it gave me all of these thoughts about what's flawed in the way that we cast mm-hmm. and it's not I don't mean to cast any particular aspersions yeah. on any individuals, and I would like to say that the actual cast that we ended up assembling for that show would have been the most diverse cast that that particular theatre um, had ever put together. So, like, the team, we came together and created a really exciting, really diverse cast at the end of it, and I don't... There's, it was nobody's fault that the auditions were more difficult than they needed to be because I think it's a systemic problem about mm-hmm. the way that we view people of colour in the casting industry um, and I think that that's th- this process just taught me more about that and gave me more ideas about how to unpick that and it's I, I just want to make really really clear that um, <laughs> that it's that it's it was nobody in that room's fault that that was what was happening yeah yeah and that I really appreciate everything that we did to assemble that amazing cast in the end. I thought you were going to say, and I really appreciate the job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for hiring me. Well, you know, it didn't end up Mm -hmm. happening. Yes. I am white passing, and I am definitely not a spokesperson for all people of colour. In in that, I am white passing, so Mm -hmm. I don't have any of the same experiences. I just have that kind of multiracial background. Um, And I'm finding that... Hopefully, you know, when I'm in a casting panel, I will, I much more actively seek to represent the world as I see it. And I think that as we see things like that amazing concert turn up recently Mm. and organised by Nicole and and Ryan, well, artistically directed by Nicole and Ryan, I think getting more brilliant creatives of colour and black creatives in charge, getting them behind the casting table Mm -hmm. will get more people of colour on the stage and I, th- it, I think it it has to be that way around because there are just there are some things like the fact that BAME has become this catch-all term mm. that people just 
don't consider until they're called out on it. Yeah. Um, and I think by actually getting people from diverse backgrounds into the casting room, we'll end up with more representative and more diverse casts. Yeah, for sure. And even within the black community, as I mentioned before, being a lighter-skinned mixed-race and black woman, um, you know, having a representation through all of the colour spectrum, because that with that does come different levels of racism that happens to people and also you know from different backgrounds and be that the class and your other experiences there are so many nuances of privilege that exist within all of that and yeah I, I personally really hope to see um casting panels that have all of the things representative because our society has all of those things within it and that's yeah I hope that we get to see that in the very near future for sure yeah, and on that lovely note, um, I think it's time to wrap up today. Thank yeah. you so much, Leo, for having us, and thank you to um, our listeners, largely um, mums, dads, and grandmas, um, <laughs> <laughs> for um, staying tuned and listening to this conversation. Um, if you have enjoyed our podcast, please do rate, review, and subscribe because it helps other people know that we're here. And also, please tell all your friends and family how brilliant we are, because we are. No. <laughs> um, please tell all your friends and family how fantastic it is, obviously. Um, you know, you can even sing it in the street if you want to. Leo will, you know, write you a song. Say, I'm sure. Um, no, that would be great. It helps other people find the podcast and know that we are here. Yeah. Um, so big love, folks. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. This has been Open House with Mel Lowe and Clancy Ryan. Music by Glenn Clark.